0: Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings to you some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is a good friend of mine, Mister Adam Roa. And before I introduce him, I just want to give a, uh, a friendly reminder to head on over to the Facebook. And join the Man Talks community. We've got about 4,000 men from around the world that are a part of that group. And we dig into some great conversations uh, all about modern masculinity, modern fatherhood, and relationship dynamics, sex, intimacy, fitness, you name it. We dive into it. So head on over there and check that out. And um, just a quick reminder for all the men that I am launching a another version of the Alliance here in mid-November, and I would love for you to check it out and join if it suits you. We've got men from around the world that are a part of that, and we have weekly virtual calls that I lead personally. You get access to the Purpose Program that I have created and built that isn't even launched yet, and you get a weekly call uh, with your group with your team. So you get you get accountability. You get an incredible brotherhood of men that are helping support you through whatever you're working through. We help uh, actually focus quite a bit in on improving your mindset, uh, finding a deeper sense of purpose in life, Mastering your intimate relationships and, and being able to support you with your intimate relationships and helping you build a, a really like strong brotherhood of guys who are holding you accountable to the type of man that you say you want to be. So, guys, check it out. Ladies, if uh if you know that your man is looking for a good resource or a man in your life is looking for a resource to support his growth and development, definitely send him over to the Man Talks Alliance. You can find it on mantalks.com forward slash the dash alliance. So without any further delay, um, Adam Roa, man, oh man, what an amazing guy. He is a spoken word poet. Uh, He's got a YouTube show called The Art of Choosing Love. uh, And he talks about quite a few things, but he uses video as a medium To really communicate his internal message, he talks a lot about spirituality. He uses spoken word poetry to convey the messages of personal development in such a way that are incredibly, incredibly inspiring. And at the end of our conversation, he shares one of his pieces that went super viral called "You Are What You've Been Looking For," and it's a really powerful piece that he shared on stage at uh, a friend Kyle Cease's event. And went really, really well. Sort of getting going viral uh, all over, all over Facebook and YouTube. But uh, Adam specializes in in really helping people utilize creativity in a way uh, that really showcases their own personal growth and development. So using creativity to reflect, using creativity to grow, you using creativity to t- develop and define ourselves in, in very. Uh, Very powerful ways. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how you can dive more deeply into creativity. We're also going to talk about how you can leverage that creativity for your own personal growth and development, regardless of what your creative outlet is. Uh, and then we're going to talk about spirituality, and we take a little bit of a deep dive into spiritual awakenings, what those actually mean, what to do with them. Uh, Adam shares some of his personal stories. I share a little bit of mine, and uh, and we take a little bit of a detour down the spiritual path, which is um, not quite as uh, not quite. N- I don't want to say normal, but um, it's not what we have necessarily do- dove into in the past. So uh, definitely uh, a pretty incredible. Episode here today with Adam Roa. So grab a pen, grab a paper, and uh, dive in. Don't forget to man it forward. Share this podcast with just one person goes a long way. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review. And without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Adam Roa.
1: Thanks for having me, Connor. I appreciate it, man. Always love talking to you.
0: Yeah, man it's it's about time that that I had you on the show. I'm like I've been really looking forward to this for a while. You know, like we've done. A bunch of facebook lives uh i came in and spoke at your event which was just uh just incredible permission to to, to think freely i almost said permission to speak freely but you know <laughs> permission to think freely freudian uh, slip. Which was yeah, that's right that's right and um yeah man i really i really respect your really respect your work and so i'm looking forward to this conversation yeah me too but- so let's uh, let's dive in with with the question. I, I always start off with our guests uh, asking the same question. So uh, tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today.
1: Absolutely, man. The um, thing that most people see today is probably the the art and the artistry and the spoken word poetry and the, and speaking on stages and the film uh, around like the show, the art of choosing love, and just like creativity in general. And I used to not think of myself as a creative person. I used to think of myself as an analytical, logical, practical person. And like my brother and sister were the creative ones. And I found my love through achievement. Uh, my father is from the Philippines. I had this very like first generation immigrant mentality of You work hard and you achieve success, which looks like kind of this American dream of a house, a career, a wife, 2.5 kids, the nuclear family, that sort of thing. And um, so throughout my life, I really tried to overachieve to to earn love. And that looked like um, everything you could imagine from a stereotypical what would be cool like varsity sports president of the club uh the, you know being popular and being well liked and successful that was everything that i wanted and that was epitomized by homecoming king which you know i entered into high school at five feet tall and 73 pounds uh as a high school freshman and so I had this Napoleon complex where I was just so small and overcompensating. Women didn't see me as a man or as, as a sexual object. They saw me as like a boy, like a cute little kid. And so to me, Homecoming King was, uh, like the thing that you saw in all the movies, like the Homecoming King was so cool. He not only did all the girls want him, but like the, the, girl's moms like the neighbors and things wanted him he was just like seemed to have everything and so I won homecoming king my senior year and I woke up the next morning and nothing internally had shifted like legitimately I had all the same fears and doubts and insecurities and and self loathing and to top that off I didn't have a mountaintop anymore of if I get there I won't feel this. Like that was gone, there was just this, this emptiness of what now. And it's funny because for whatever reason, nature or nurture, I extrapolated that into, well, what would happen if I follow what everything is telling me to do of going to college, getting the career, getting the job, doing that nuclear family thing? What if I'm 45 and I have that feeling? Now what, I've, I've made a million dollars, like what do I do now? and i refused to accept that as going to be my reality and i started asking the questions well what actually like makes me happy like what does my heart want despite what anyone else is saying and i ultimately made the decision to leave behind an advertising agency uh, job offer and move to Los Angeles to pursue a career in acting. And that, like leaving behind all my friends and where I grew up and a job offer of security and safety and and all of that was the first real major step in saying, I'm going to prioritize my hopes and dreams and my heart more than anything else. And that one shift has propelled me on this path to where I where I am today because because that's a foundational way in which I approach life which is what is your greatest joy what is your highest excitement and how do you create a life that allows you to be in that as much as
0: possible. Yeah, amazing, man. I think you know it's it's so interesting because I think that so many people feel that pull to not do the sort of like traditional path anymore. You know the 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 non-traditional, non-conforming path of of not Not just like following your dreams like that cliche saying, but really moving towards your joy, you know moving towards what lights you up and I'm curious from you know your work and from your perspective, what are some of the things that actually create those types of people because i've I've kind of noticed that there there are people that just kind of like fall into this space of like they will go for years and decades just kind of pursuing pursuing sort of like classic versions of success, you know, like mainstream success. And what, what is it that makes people shift away from, you know, doing the nine to five, moving up the corporate ladder, getting the house of the white picket fence and, you know, getting married and having two kids by a certain age, what actually calls people to shift away from that, from, from what you've observed?
1: Well, from what I've observed, it's funny because, you know, as, as someone who's been a excuse me, as a coach um, and, you know, spiritual mentor to to a number of clients, I've recognized that we only can really coach from where we've been, what we've walked. And so a lot of my clients reflect back to me a similar journey. So CEO level 45-year-old, 40-year-olds uh, who are at that space that I was at at 18 asking that question. And so I've actually had a lot of experience working with people who are asking that question and at the age of 40 shifting into what drives their heart and what I would say honestly is as much as and I'm going to I'm going to put this into two parts the the one thing that I've seen more than anything else is discontent and discomfort meaning so many people wait until it is too damn uncomfortable and they are too damn unhappy to continue doing it the same way they've been doing it and that seems to be in my experience the point at which people are like whoa what's going on for me in like my initial like awakening what i would call it um and it wasn't at homecoming king it was another series of events where everything was going so horribly wrong that like literally i i was from small stuff like being at a financial zero which isn't a small thing but having my iphone stolen to getting in a car accident where someone ran a stop sign t-boned me i needed hip surgery i had migraines for weeks one week later to the day my rental car was hit and run, run on the side of the road and demolished <laughs> literally the exact same day, one week later at the same time. And I broke, like my my mental state broke. And what that did was create an opening, right? Because that opening was when I said, I don't think I have this figured out. I don't actually think that I am doing this life thing the way that I see other people doing it, who are really happy. They've got, they've figured something out, and I've been the person who thought, "Oh, I'm, I'm a really smart guy. I'm really successful in these ways. I can, I'm on the path to happiness." And there became a point where I was so uncomfortable and so unhappy that I said, "This, I don't know," and that humbling. Like that to me is the, the change point. When you humble yourself enough to say, I don't know, I don't have this actually figured out. I don't, I need some help. Mm. And that moment for me was the changing point um, that ultimately led to, to my, what I would call spiritual awakening. Um, even though I'd already been on the path since 18 of starting to follow my heart and asking these deeper questions, it was just kind of a next level. And so to answer your question, I think it's, it's, getting to a place where you're willing to humble yourself and say, the way I'm doing it is not working for me anymore. And I could use some help. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I like that because I think that there's, you know, there's really like two types of people in the world, right? Like there's the people who consciously or subconsciously believe that in order for their life to change, they need to hit rock bottom, you know, and they're, 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 there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Um, but that's, the, that's like the one the one way that people change. And the other way that people change is that they realize that they have a choice and that they don't have to actually bottom out before change actually takes place. And and that it usually requires that level of help and support that you're talking about. And I think that the, the sort of like sad thing is, and I think that men and women usually deal with this differently. I see a lot more, and I'm curious to get your perspective on this, but I see a lot more men being in the first category and a lot more women being in the second category. Right. Where like a lot more men tend to go down this path of like knowing that they want things to change, knowing that they could have a better relationship or, you know, that they want to uh, shift professionally in their career or in their mindset or in their health. But they sort of like avoid, 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 numb out. And then, you know, when things hit this like rock bottom, even though they that and this is something that I hear a lot of people talk about. It's like, oh, I saw this coming. You know, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this outcome was going to happen. They bottom out. And then it's from that space that it's almost like that rebirth. Whereas the second type of people, usually they can see where they're going. They can like see that that path that they're on is going to lead to catastrophe. And they can start to take action, get support, get help, you know, in, in order to sort of course correct. So What do you think creates the difference? Well, first off, has that been your perspective? Do you see that men and women sort of sometimes, not always, but sometimes deal with this differently?
1: I think that men and women, so as a generalized statement, I would say, yes, I do agree. And I think that is based in the just the collective way in which men are told to be men. We're told to man up, suck it up so like it's ingrained in us that part of being a man is a willingness to suffer a willingness to take on pain to to like be with it like the more pain like think about even just some traditions around like like how long can i knew friends who would you know burn themselves or or whatever in a way that um, it was like how much can you take yeah and and I think that being a man w- w- raised in that and associating any level of your masculinity with the amount of pain you can hold is a huge disservice but it is something that as a collective we have have held and I think you spoke to something really valuable which is that I have a, a statement that came through in meditation uh one day that which is uh there's there's a difference between choosing to grow from the pain that shows up and choosing the pain to show up in order to grow. What you spoke to is a lot of people are in that category of needing that rock bottom and it's not necessary. Meaning if the the shift for me, it's not hitting rock bottom, it's humbling myself and saying, wow, I don't have this figured out. It took me getting to rock bottom to be willing to humble myself because of my pride and my ego. And now I'm in the space of, I don't know, like it's in the intro of my podcast is the only thing I know is that I don't know anything. And I've been humbled so many times. I've had so many experiences of my worldview shifting in an instant that now I hold things in such a lighter way that it's, I'm more open to this belief like i don 't know i 'm learning i 'm such a student in so many ways, I could learn a life changing lesson from the homeless person I speak to on the street just as much as a coach that I hired uh, for fifty thousand dollars as long as i 'm open to the messages that that are available to me and i 'm willing to stay humble in that space, and it doesn 't have to look like rock bottom
0: yeah and I think so and, I was going to say I think you touched on something so important there around. You know men and and masculinity sort of like valuing this like how much pain can you take you know and and I think that we we really like hold on to a lot of that and i see I see a lot of women doing this too it 's not just like a a men thing but there has been sort of like this this um attachment to our pride to our ego as men when we can when we can say like oh i can take on more you know that seems to be like the thing like we have like this obsession with more right it's like how can i earn more make more take on more endure more and and it becomes like this like relentless pursuit of more and do you feel that some people have to be broken in that way like some people actually have to be broken down entirely to to be rebirthed into a different space of of letting go of that that sort of like obsession well i I definitely don't think that there's
1: any absolutes around like half like people have to i do think that they're like for me using myself as an example i just had the kind of like growing up experience where everything came easily to me um school came easily to me i like i said homecoming king varsity sports like that stuff came easy even though it was a lot of like compensating and 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 working at it in a way it kind of just naturally occurred and because of that I felt my I felt like I was blessed in this way where everything would come easily to me forever (laughs) and so the way I describe it is the the more tightly we hold on to our identity and what we think we know the more firmly we stand in that it's the bend or not break thing Like if you, the more firmly you stand, when that wind picks up and that storm happens, you're going to break as opposed to like who I am now with this malleability, I'll bend, I'll bend. And so I think that it really comes down to the individual and their perception of their own identity, how much of their belief systems, how much of the, like the way that they view the world currently, are they associating as their identity? Because when that happens, what happens is any challenge to the belief systems becomes a challenge to the identity. And, that becomes a fight or flight mechanism. Now, all of a sudden we're like, wow, this person's saying something that I don't believe, which means that he's challenging who I am. And I get to go into fight or flight to protect myself and who I am on this planet. And that leads to a lot of what we're seeing right now between even things like, like the gun control uh, discussion, if we can call it that, that's happening in the United States, where it's no longer even about gun control. Now it's identity. Now it's it's... It's political games. It's, it's, oh, you're, you're destroying our country if you take away my guns. It's like, an, it's an identity thing instead of let's actually talk about how to save lives. Let's get into a conversation around that, whatever that looks like. And I think that's a big thing. And the one thing I want to touch on that we talked about before is between men and women. I think m- women tend to um, suffer in different ways, if that makes sense. Like men, it's like, how much can I take? How much can I, I pain, can I, can I hold in this way? And with women, um, I find that there's a, like in my experience, uh, I've seen there to be a, when it comes to family, specifically when it comes to family and like the roles that, that we take, I think that there's just a desire to be acknowledged and seen and heard and loved and, what can happen is we, if we don't feel those things, there can be a archetype of the martyr that's taken on. Um, and I think men and women both do this. They just do it in different ways. Um, I don't know for sure that one is more common than the other. I think that I can spot the basis for the masculine one a lot. Um, because it 's what I grew up with and understand
0: yeah i mean it's it's interesting right, because I think like like you're saying, there is no absolutes around these things and and people tend to want to go to absolutes you know i think when when people especially are trying to discover themselves or you know un- unpack who they really are or uh, find their identity it it really is a challenging uh challenging space because because we do it's like human nature we do want to grasp onto something concrete. Right. And that's why people have their identities attached to things like political parties or, uh, you know, gun legislation or these like very uh, these, these very like contrasting, polarizing topics where, where people's identities then become those things, where those things become those people's identities. And it's very challenging to have a discussion if, if some of those things were to shift or change, it feels like a personal threat for people. Right. And I think that that's what ends up happening in, in intimate relationships as well, you know, and, and in work environments as well. It's like, we can see this pattern actually happening in so many different areas of our lives, where if we're, if we're able to really look at our own reactivity in a relationship or our own reactivity in our work environment, when things are changing, you know, human beings, we are very much change averse. We don't want change to happen necessarily because some of it is a huge threat to our identity, to our sense of self, to our sense of security. So I'm curious as to, you know, you use, you use some interesting tools to help people move through this. And one of the tools that I've seen you use time and time again is, is a creative outlet is things like spoken word and, video and and uh, just like different mediums of art and creativity to help people move through this space so how do you see creativity playing into things like personal development or understanding our our self how, how does that actually all fit in well I
1: believe that creativity is the purest expression of someone's soul like someone's essence like that to me creativity is is unique. Every individual is so unique in the way that if you just even watch kids and you give them all crayons and paper, they're going to all draw different things in different ways with different colors. It's such a just inherent unique aspect of who we are that when we can start tapping into creativity, now what we're doing is express expressing ourselves at like a soul level, at like the deepest level that we can and that's healing in and of itself. There is nothing more healing than the purest expression of our own unique soul signature. That so that's why I've transitioned and and we've known each other, each other a bit but like really over the last year I've fully stepped into creativity and my artist as not just oh I'm giving everything up in the personal development space to become an artist but recognizing that creativity and art is personal development. It's some of the most incredible um, healing that you can embark upon. And I think that the more I explore that and dive into that, the more I believe in something that I call sacred play and sacred play to me is recognizing that for for a lot of personal development it has looked like and this is in my own journey as well but it looks like let me dive into the shadow aspects let me see the parts of myself that feel unworthy and, and afraid and like go into those shadows. I'll do whatever I need to do, drink the cup of ayahuasca or do the breath work or like whatever it is and take the workshops. And then I'm going to feel good about that particular area and then go, okay, where's the next shadow? Where's the next part of me that doesn't feel whole? And the thing is, when in that space, yes, there is healing that happens, and there's still a, I'm still in the shadow. I'm still in that that area of the polarity looking for more. And really this is all about frequency and resonance, meaning when we exist in play, when we exist in the most fun and joyful experiences we can, and especially if creativity is there, what is not in resonance with that will rise to the surface. Meaning, and and what people who listen to this may be familiar with, if they haven't read The Big Leap, I highly recommend it by Gay Hendricks. Uh, he talks about the upper limit problem. Meaning when things get too good, there's gonna be the part of you that is like, oh, things can't be this good. There's gotta be some level of discomfort. There's gotta be some level of fear. and it, And subconsciously, people call that in. It's like, oh my God, my marriage has never been better. Let me go ahead and cheat now. Oh my I've never I've never had this much money in my account let me develop a drinking problem like there is this subconscious thing of self sabotage that can happen and so what I've recognized is if we just allow our journey to be about how can I experience the most joy and fun and bliss and I go there the personal development doesn't stop it continues, it just looks different because when I go and have this amazing experience, I'm going to see the things that aren't in resonance. I just spoke at this event in Denver to 1,500 women and it was incredible. And I, I recognize when talking to some of them, how many of them were having so much fun at this event around all these other women and yet how many of them were actually dreading going home, dreading going back to their relationship, dreading going back to their job, whatever it is, and that's a clear example. When you're in the space of how much fun you you can have, you're going to see the parts of your life that aren't a match to that. And so the personal development doesn't stop. And I call it sacred play. And it is a kind of a foundational basis now for how I live my life.
0: Very cool. Very cool. I think, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think that we, like we've often throughout the course of humanity looked at creativity, looked at art. And, uh, you know, some of these pieces as being an integral part of our lives, but we haven't really known why, you know, like I think hundreds of years ago or a thousand years ago, creativity and art was synonymous with somewhat religion, but I want to say, uh, spirituality, you know, it was, it was a sacred tool. It was seen as being closer to God, quote unquote, to God, whatever the, whatever your version or their version of God was, but it was seen as being closer to that because there is sort of this unpredictability about creativity. There's, there's this unknown, um, component that, that we can feel, you know, that like that almost seems tangible about creativity and, and for most people, you know, stress, anxiety, depression, a lot of these things set in because of predictability, right? We have these very specific grooves and patterns that we fall into, you know, anxiety, just constantly worrying about the future, constantly stressing about an outcome that could happen. And we get in this predictable pattern of, of trying to predict the future in such a way that we get stuck in that space. And creativity allows us to kind of shift out of that. Like I I read some research recently that shows that things like improv, stand-up comedy and improv acting, actually significantly reduces um, stress and anxiety levels because people start to become and act and think and behave in these unpredictable ways, and it shakes up their patterns. So how have you seen in in your own personal growth – um, what are some of the results that you've seen out of leveraging creativity, and and what are some of the rituals that you've put in place to actually dive deeper into that creativity? Oh wow, good question. Um,
1: I've I fully understand the concept around uh, those stress responses and how because look at essentially as human beings we respond really well to short bursts of stress, like intermittent fasting even fasting is so good for you and and it can be considered stress response Uh, saunas or cold plunges like short bursts of stress responses are so healing and they are so good for the body and the problem is that the stress responses as human beings right now are these elongated like dull things of i'm stressed about paying the the rent each and every month by working at a job I don't like. And that stress that doesn't actually happen in an instant and then clear, it's just this consistent thing which raises the cortisol levels and just starts destroying the body. And I think... What you talked about is creativity from a space of even stepping into stand-up or improv. What you're doing is you're, li- you're literally just going in and saying this is something that's incredibly s- scary and stressful to me. Most people, even myself included, um, going up on stage to do improv acting with, with no pre-planned anything is intimidating. And I've, I've taken those classes. And facing off with that is huge and doing it in safe containers is massive. And so as far as rituals for me, I find that I am constantly looking for ways to challenge my comfort zone in safe containers. And one of the ways that I've been doing that recently, for example, is uh, freestyling. Freestyling with my, uh, with my friend Ryan, we're on the road and we're just we're, we're creating music together. And so we have like a guitar or drum or these different instruments. And then late at night, at the end of the day, we'll just bust them out and then like create songs and play music. And that is something that has definitely challenged me and been outside my comfort zone. And, but I, but it's safe. It's like, okay, yeah, I can screw up. I can mess up. Let me just, let's do it. Um, That's an example of just For me, literally, last night, I was doing that. How other ways. uh, I got on stage in front of these 1,500 women not having a speech planned out. Like having some key points that I wanted to talk about and saying, I want to just let it flow. And that's an edge for me because I come from the background of like scripted film acting. It's like, yeah, go up and have it memorized and that sort of thing. Um, And I don't memorize now, but you've seen permission to think freely, the, the spoken word show, and like that isn't necessarily memorized, but it's definitely like bullet pointed out very, very strongly. And so I'm stepping into my edge of, hey, am I embodied to the point where I step up there and can deliver one of the best speeches I've ever delivered um, just by being present? And so The rituals for me look like creating safe spaces to push those stress response edges. Um, Because the more that you do it, the more you realize, oh, I'm alive. That was good. It could be better. Great. I'm excited to make it better. Um, And one thing that I want to touch on as we continue to talk about creativity is I have a different viewpoint on, on what the creative process even is. And I think it's important for people to hear it, which is that I believe that, the frequencies are all around us of infinite possibility and we could go into the quantum mechanics of that. I recommend people look at things like connected universe, which is a, a documentary, uh, that people can watch that kind of stuff. Anyway, without going into the quantum mechanics of it, uh, everything that has happened or will happen or can happen, all the infinite possibilities exist around us as potential right now, potential energy. And So the vision you have for your life, if a creative project, let's say, like let's say I'm I'm working on a, a spoken word piece, the version of that piece of poetry that has the greatest impact on this planet, the greatest like feeling in my body, the highest expression of that piece of poetry that exists around me right now as a potential energy, which means that it exists around me as a frequency. So I might be existing right now at 101, but that poem exists at 105. So my role then is to become a match to 105. And when I become a match to 105, that highest expression of that poem drops in. It it comes into my being through my body and I can now like write it and express it and the reason why this is important is because so many creatives on this planet right now, all you have to do is look at Hollywood and the movie machine that's being created and see the types of movies of fear-based movies and people killing each other. How many movies in theaters right now have at least one murder in them? Like even like the Avengers movies and the Transformers movies, people are dying all, all the time. They just don't show them in a gory way, but it's happening, like destruction and fear. Well, what's happening is if people are pulling in frequencies of destruction and fear and murder and that sort of thing that is they're pulling from like let's say you're at 100 well they're pulling at 98 like lower frequency vibrations that means that those movies that are created those music that's created is going to carry that and hold that and that's going to affect the the average the standard like mean of frequency on this planet and so if people can understand that you have the ability to go And find your movie, your music, your poetry, your app idea, like whatever. You can go and find that in a frequency that's closer to love and joy and abundance and prosperity for everyone in this whole planet. Now you're creating things that are going to raise and elevate the the frequency of the planet. And I think that's how and why I'm so passionate about creativity is when we start to view it from that lens, we recognize that what we create is impacting the collective in such a huge way. And it starts by recognizing that we get to become a match to the creative ideas.
0: Mm, I like that. Yeah, I like that last part. You become a match to the creative ideas. I think, you know, I think that's kind of what I think it was Michelangelo or or Da Vinci. Um I think it was Michelangelo. I can't I can't remember that that talked about yeah I think it was Michelangelo talking about carving uh the statue of David and and he described the process as revealing what was already there. And not creating, mm-hmm. not creating something in in the sense that you know it's mapped out, it's all identified. You know, you've got it like all planned out and and fully executed before you even begin. But actually pulling forth what you know what's already there. And I think that that's really in in an, in an essence what you're talking about. And I like the concept of what you said before around creating safe spaces to push i can't remember exactly what you said but it's almost like to push stagnant edges is is what i what really resonated with me you know is is that we all we all need to be able to um to push our boundaries a little bit and expand a little bit and we need that spontaneity you know like we crave that spontaneity we crave it in so many areas of our life and when stagnation starts to set in Oftentimes, people get in these ruts and, and these routines that 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 keep them feeling stuck. And it's that creative process, that creative outlet that starts to shift things and, and sort of uh, expand us outwards. So I, I love that. I love that part. Can you go into a little bit more... Um, you know, I, I think it's it's good to understand a context because there's a lot of evidence and a lot of data and a lot of science is being done that actually is starting to talk a little bit more about frequencies, about the the sort of like scientific side of this. And And it's not just like, you know, I think 20 years ago saying things like frequencies sounded a little hokey pokey, you know, like <laughs> it sounded a little like out there and and like spiritual jargon but i think now that we're really starting to enter into a more like scientifically based era and we have people like dr joe dispenza i think i'm getting his name wrong dispenza you know he's he's talking a lot about vibrations and frequencies and and how those we you know we can map the impact in the brain through meditation through you know through different processes that we can go through in, in meditation and actually shift our internal frequency, shift our internal brainwaves. And I would love for you to just explain a little bit more um, around the creative process and some of the internal shifts that actually that actually happen, because I think that's important for people to know.
1: Yeah. Uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza is, in my opinion, one of the, like, Pioneers of bridging the spiritual, like esoteric concepts, with the neuroscience, and um, I highly recommend people who are interested in this give give him a read or watch his videos. The way that I can tap into this for myself is in understanding that science and spirituality are just languages that are both working to describe the same thing. And so when you look at your computer screen or your phone screen and you see an image, let's say it's a computer and you look at your backdrop and it's a photo of you and uh, your, your significant other, it's like, okay, that's true. When I look at my computer, I see a photo of me and my love. Awesome. Behind that is a series of zeros and ones. There's a binary code that is making that possible. That is also true. The binary is not more true or less true. The photo that you're seeing and perceiving is not more true or less true. They are both true. And science and spirituality are like that. That it is, they are working to describe this thing called life and they do it through different ways. Uh, The spirituality is the is told through metaphor. It's told through imagery. It's told through art and and creativity and emotion, uh, which is a language. And the science is told through essentially mathematics and this logical practical. It is... Uh, the two of them together is the balance. The two of them together is the balance of the divine masculine, and divine feminine. It's the balance of the right and left brain. It is it is the way that we can get a full spectrum view of what's going on. And I used to be someone that was far closer to atheism than I was to any sort of spirituality. And now I see, because I have this view that they're layers of the same cake, I understand that any spiritual concept will have some form of translation through science into form. So if you're taking the formless into form, an example would be you. the concept, one of the foundational things that I say is, is you create your reality. It is literally the foundational accepting belief and agreement that people who I work with um, have to have because if you don't have the belief that you're creating your reality, you've already accepted that you're a victim to it. There's a part of you that has no control and therefore can't change your circumstances. You always have an out to say, that was outside of my control. But as a creator of your reality, what are we actually talking about? We're talking about how maybe it's not the circumstances. You can't control every single actual physical circumstance that shows up, but you have the ability to assign value to each and every moment of your life. And the value that you assign will determine the emotional experience that you have. And that emotional experience that you have will generate an entire like magnetic pulse of like attract like. And therefore, if you're having an emotional experience of anger and resentment, you're going to see a lot more of that and a lot more events that trigger that show up in your experience versus if you're you're experiencing love and joy and fun all the time that's going to be your experience of life of what shows up as well because like attracts like and so going back to the spirituality and the science you say oh yeah well how are you you creating that like how are we that powerful that we can literally believe anything and there's like two examples of this right one is the placebo effect where i used to think of this of the placebo effect as oh look at you you're just making things up and and choosing to believe it as as a way of discounting what people believed as as oh that's not true but if their body is responding and their reality around them externally is responding as if it's true what am i looking for as as, oh, this is what's true. <laughs> like, that is true. The moment that you're a false pregnancy, the moment your body's responding like you're pregnant, like, you've created the most crazy reality for yourself of being pregnant, even though you may not be from someone else's perspective. Same thing with schizophrenia. People's brains with schizophrenia, when they hear the the voices, their brains are firing in the same way that your brain is firing right now listening to me. And so what is actually true? Is it not true because I don't share the same reality and I've said my reality is more true than theirs? Or is it true because they're experiencing it in a scientific way that you wouldn't be able to decipher the difference necessarily if you just looked at our brain scans? So letting go of this idea of what true is and recognizing the the science and the spirituality, even though the concepts may seem foreign to some people, uh, there's going to be a translation. There's going to be a way in which it translates down into this human experience. And that's because they're explaining the same thing. They're not at odds. And the moment that we in especially the Western world can accept that and embrace that, we will um, start to re find the wholeness of a spiritual connection that so many of this this planet, so many humans on this planet have lost.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because, I mean, there's so, there's so much in what you just said that I think is, is so powerful. And, you know, one of the things that really stood out for me around the, the, the sort of the idea and the concept that, that science and spirituality are in many ways trying to say the same thing is that the you know, there, there's so much evidence around this. Like if you look at something as simple as like binary code, right? Zero and one, as you as you touched on before, well, binary code was actually created in the 17th century by a, by a guy whose name I can't remember right now, who, uh, who was, who had read the I Ching and the I Ching is one of the oldest Chinese spiritual texts. And in the I Ching, which is sort of like the foundation of, of, if you go way back, um, it's one of the foundations of of Buddhism in the East. It is re- it's really like a a cosmology, uh, a, a sort of like a spiritual uh, divination, a, a text. Really, it's kind of like a form of a Bible in in some ways of how to act and how to live. And it uses a numerical system to sort of show this this concept of duality with an existence. And someone read that a mathematician read that. Uh, read this very read the spiritual text, one of the foundation spiritual texts that has ever existed in the East, and out of that created a binary system of zero and ones as a form of language, and that binary system would then go on to be the foundation of what we now use to code and program all computers right (laughs) so so here so here you have like literally here's proof of what you're saying that that science and spirituality are both a language trying to talk about the same thing just in different ways in different outlets in different mediums and so science and spirituality actually aren't that far apart and it's just that we actually use science in different ways you know we use technology in different ways and it's it's you know it's it's quite unfortunate the way that that technology in some ways has been used to better our lives but in other ways it's been used to to sort of just hinder us and keep us stagnant and and you know complacent um but i love this idea of looking at uh at at spirituality and at science and seeing how they're tr- actually trying to say similar things so just on that note like how would you describe spirituality because i think that some people you know we've kind of gone down a very like broad um uh, sort of topic here or, or around spirituality and, and unpacking it. But I think it's good to just have like a context. So how do you define spirituality and how have you experienced that?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I haven't been asked that question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that question, funnily enough. Um, <laughs>
0: so a, such a yeah, light question, I right? Like, what is spirituality? Spirituality. <laughs> uh,
1: To me, uh, spirituality is, I would define it as my connection to the energy that exists beyond time. And so whether we want to call that God or source or universe, Allah, or just my higher self, my oversoul, maybe like whatever we want to call it, it doesn't actually matter to me. We call it nature. The There is an understanding that time is... It is a dimension. It is a. It is not this thing that governs all of existence in this 3D realm. Time is a dimension, and we know this also for people like bringing the science into it. Space-time continuum can be bent. It can be warped. Um, gravity impacts. Uh, I don't know. If, like Interstellar does a pretty great job, the movie of of explaining how. Yeah. Yeah, they do a really great job of explaining it in a very simple way. But like, if you were to go up in into a uh, a spaceship and like orbit the Earth a bunch of times at a really fast, let's say close to the speed of light or whatever, and I'm gonna like paraphrase the, this whole thing. The point is, you could do that for let's say eight minutes, and you could come back down on Earth, and eight years or eighty years could have passed in the eight minutes that you were doing that. Because gravity is not, or gravity can impact time. And when we start to really recognize time as this thing that we're existing within, a dimension that we're within, as opposed to a, a governing thing of, of all of existence in the way that I think most people think about it, we can also accept the premise that there are things that exist beyond time. It's why we can have that moment where we're on this podcast and we're like, whoa, it's already been 46 minutes. It's it's like flown by and then someone else could be in their board meeting and five minutes have passed and they look at the clock again, they're like, oh my God, that felt like an hour in that five minutes. Um, Even our experience of time is relative based on the emotional place that we're in and what we're doing. So I know that there's a part of me that exists beyond time. My consciousness exists beyond time. And that, the connection to that, the trust in that is a foundational piece of my spiritual practice and spiritual beliefs. Because how do you, one of the things I used to get all the time was when I first started putting out motivational content. Uh, You know, all my, my hashtag is choose love. Like I put choose love on everything. The YouTube show is called the art of choosing love. It is just even the permission to think freely show is, is about uh, choosing love. And I used to get this thing of like, well, how's that going to help the starving kids in Africa? Like, how can you think that that is... Like, how can you believe that they created that reality? How can you believe that there's, that that's fair, that somehow, how can you believe in spirituality when that's happening? And what I recognize, and this is where all religions actually meet, which is faith. If you don't have faith in something, and faith to me is the belief in something bigger than yourself. And so if you don't have the belief in something bigger than yourself, if you don't believe, if you basically essentially believe that this lifetime is all there is for you and your consciousness, then it becomes nearly impossible to believe in some divine or like reason for the starving children in Africa or the the, the racism or the sexual abuse that's going on in this planet. Because then it becomes all about this one Timeline. This one life, as opposed to I've experienced through deep meditative experiences, through plant medicine experiences, through all kinds of wild life experiences, different past lives. What we call in past lives, but really more simultaneous lives. When you get rid of this idea of time, but like different experiences, different um, knowings of wow, I've I've I have in my DNA different. Lifetimes. I can feel it. I've seen them, etc. And because I believe in that, because I have an experience of that, I know that this life is not the sole way that my soul. Funny, the only way that my soul actually um, can evolve. There's so much more at play, and that includes. I've been the starving child in Africa. I've been. I've been the 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 murder victim. I've also been the murderer. Like all of that exists in me in my DNA, in the collective field, which there's a lot that you can go into the science of the uh, morphogenetic resonance fields, the M fields. Um, that's something that people, if you're interested in what being talked about, look up Roger Bannister and you'll get an idea of what we're talking about with the M field. Unless Connor wants me to explain it, I can. <laughs> but like, I've, I've been ranting <laughs> for a while. And so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that, to me, that's, faith is about a belief bigger than yourself. And spirituality is about the the connection to the part of myself that is bigger than this one lifetime.
0: Yeah, I feel like that that last part is is very poignant. You know, I, there's a great there's a guy named Anthony Damello uh, who wrote a book called Awareness that I think I've probably read like a dozen times, and I I recommend it for for people who are ready for it because it can it can be confronting. You know, he starts off the book by saying spirituality is waking up. And and not like waking up in some, you know, like mama jumbo way, but waking up to a reality that you actually inherently are connected to other people and you're connected to everything around you. You know, like the idea, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson, a you know, cosmologist said it so aptly in, in a talk, he said like, we we are made out of stardust. We are like literally made out of the same things that the rest of the universe is made out of. And, and we just oftentimes forget that, you know, we get caught up in this, in this sort of nine to five life, driving to work, coming back from work, eating the same thing, raising the kids that we miss this, this like very tangible connection to that bigger piece. And I feel like that's oftentimes, you know, we talk about seekers and searchers that oftentimes people are looking for that reconnection right they're looking for that awakening they're looking for that remembering that they actually are inherently a part of something bigger and it can be so challenging when people have had you know child abuse or abandonment or you know some some trauma that has cut them off from feeling like they are a part of something or they just have like an immense amount of social isolation and loneliness and it it seems so challenging and so uh, confronting to remember that, that they are connected to something bigger than them. Not that it needs to be some religion, because I feel like that, that has created like this huge amount of animosity. Like I know for myself and my personal journey, yeah, I was raised Roman Catholic and I studied theology. I studied Buddhism and Hinduism and Catholicism and Jainism. And I studied all of these theologies to try and understand them. And then I, and then I completely went away and, and rejected the entire idea of God altogether and the uh, entire idea of, you know, a a synchronicity and a a connection. And, and I do feel like, uh, you know, uh, awakening and spirituality is, is in a way like waking up to something that is bigger than you, that you are a part of that's within you and outside of you and all around you. And so, um, so on that note, I would actually love to talk about spiritual awakenings a little bit, because I think that a lot of people have had, some form of, uh, you know, a spiritual awakening or a spiritual connection that is sort of undescribable or indescribable for them. And I hear a lot of people talk about a glimpse of a spiritual awakening and then immediately follow up the question, like, what do I do with that? Like, what am am I supposed to do? Why does that matter? Like, how do I like, like, what, what do I do? So um, I would love to get your perspective on sort of, how you define spiritual awakenings and your personal experiences with them
1: well, um, based on the definition I have of spirituality, uh, I would say that spiritual awakening for me w- in my own life and what I've seen in other people is the moment when the the person realizes that there is something bigger, there is something beyond what they can see there is something beyond what this one life is and yeah my spiritual awakening was on the heels of the most difficult year i was speaking uh you know talking about it a bit earlier and um on That moment of rock bottom where I said, I don't know, I need help. I was so desperate. I was willing to try just anything. And I called up my, um, the only spiritual friend that I knew at the time. Like he was the only one I knew who meditated and like believed in any of this stuff. And I called him and said, yo, I need a aura cleansing or something. Like I just need something. I don't even know what to call it. But I feel like I'm walking around and I'm that dude who has like a rain cloud just over his head everywhere. And I don't know what to do. And I'm desperate. And he put me in contact with a spiritual intuitive, basically like a psychic angel guides person they, I, uh, three months later, were on the phone because she needed to, to do her work for months and I'm on the phone and I don't believe anything really. I've just like, okay, sure. Yeah. Whatever you say. Oh, okay. My guides are saying this wonderful. And then uh, because I was raised uh, Catholic as well, I was an altar boy growing up. And so I very much have had rejected it because Uh, In large part because I didn't feel like my parents had what I was told that religion would give. I didn't see anyone in the church really that was exemplifying like, whoa, this person's so happy. (laughs) And so I just rejected it. And um then, so on the phone, I'm also rejecting it. I'm like, okay. But then something happened where she stopped in the middle of what she was saying and said, Adam, I don't know why, but they're telling me that you need to get into a Native American sweat lodge or drum circle as soon as possible. And I'm like, okay. And it was so weird because she stopped in the middle of a sentence to say it. And there was a frequency difference to what she was saying that that was the one thing when I got off the phone, it was like a two and a half hour call. That was the one thing that stuck with me. And I said, well, how do I do that? And I remembered my friend, uh, maybe like a month earlier had just tried something called ayahuasca and had told me about it and said, it's like with the shaman and you're in the circle. And I was like, that's the closest thing that I can think of. And I reached out to him and it turned out that that there was a circle happening that weekend and in four days and four days later, I'm sitting in an ayahuasca circle, having no idea what really it is other than a little bit of like understanding with it. And that completely blew me open from literally one day, the next I went from someone who didn't believe in this stuff we're talking about on, on this podcast. I didn't believe in um, God or that we're all connected or energy or crystals or any of that to so I meditation has been a daily part of obviously I've missed days, but like basically a daily ritual for me ever since from that moment and and spiritual awakening and spirituality has been foundational to my life ever since um, it was by far the most transformative
0: single experience of my life. I love it, man. I love it. I know, I know that we're, you know, we're running short on time here, but I just wanted to sort of maybe end with, for the people that have experienced a spiritual awakening or are seeking a spiritual awakening, what advice, what guidance would you would you leave them with to sort of guide them on that journey?
1: That's a great question because I just spoke to how mine was facilitated through ayahuasca and I don't believe that you need anything outside of yourself. Like I don't believe that ayahuasca is for everyone. I don't believe that you need to go and do anything. But what I what I firmly believe is that if you're at the place where you can feel it in your system, you're listening to this and you just know that there is something more and you may not be able to see it. You don't, it's just a feeling. There's something more. It's like the movie, The Matrix. Like you just know that there's something off and you just don't know what it is. I think that that is an amazing starting place. And if you just start to set the intention, because we are the creators of our reality, if you just set the intention that you want to see behind the veil, you want to more deeply understand what is this thing that you can feel that's tugging at your heartstrings and at your soul, the the universe will give it to you. you. You're just gonna need to look for the signs. Meaning when you say that you want that, and you're ready for that you're ready to see what else is available to you there's going to be things that show up this podcast and the stuff that we've talked about connor this might be the thing for them as you whoever you are listening to this this might be the thing where you go oh Okay, and that could be the catalyst for your spiritual awakening. Or you may say, okay, I want that. And then someone shows up in your life who leads leads a specific style of meditation or breath work. And you're like, oh, let me try that. But the, the moment you set the intention, it'll show up for you in some way. Just stay open to receiving the signs because your particular awakening will look different than anyone else's. And so I can't tell you how it's gonna show up or what you should do other than set the intention and then pay attention for the signs.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, you know, I just I love the the affirmation that, you know, I don't know how it's gonna show up for you and it's gonna look different and everybody's version is different, you know. Um, I think that a lot of people, you know, come to it through a lost space, come through it, you know, to it through a, a painful space. I think somebody I can't remember who it was, but they talked about the dark night of the soul, you know, and this concept that that you know everyone sort of enters into this dark space of, of feeling lost or down or disconnected and and oftentimes that that period in our lives that that dark period that down period is often the tunnel where people go through that tunnel and, and sort of find the, the quote unquote light at the end of the tunnel where they, they come out the other side and they have some sort of connection to something that is bigger than them. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it can, it can look so many different ways. So I love that, um, you know, concept of just staying open, uh, looking for opportunities and, and finding good people to, to help guide you on that journey and finding good circles to help guide you on that journey. So, um, do you have anything, do you have anything that you could? leave our people with in terms of, uh, a little bit of spoken word, maybe just like a line or two, to, to maybe in sort of encapsulate or, or jam on what we've talked about today in our session. Cause I think, um, you know, like I said, I love your work or, uh, if you don't have something off the top of your head where they can go, um, to, to hear some of that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely have plenty on the top of my head. Uh, I think, yeah, let me just leave uh, with. So this poem is called "You Are Who You've Been Looking For." It's it's probably it's by far the most popular poem that I've done that's available. If you just search it on YouTube or even Google it, "You Are Who You've Been Looking For," Adam Roa, it'll come up, and you can hear the whole thing. And I'll just pull a couple lines that I think are really valuable right now, as the the beginning and end of the poem, let's say. And the beginning starts with "You Are Who You've Been Looking For." So stop looking for more unless you're looking in a mirror because it's about time for you to see clearly that you are who you've been looking for. And that empty feeling you got, that hole in your chest, you only got that feeling because you think you're not blessed with everything you need. And then the poem ends with... Today, I hope I leave you with a direction correction away from the flaws you see in your reflection. They aren't flaws to me. They are simply protection against all the doubts you have of your perfection.
0: Boom. Boom. I love it, man. I love it. And people should definitely check that out. We'll have the link uh, to that in the show notes so that they can just click on that and check it out because it is an awesome, awesome, awesome uh, spoken word piece. And I love it. And it's so powerful. So listen, man, this was a blast. I feel like we covered a lot and we could jam for like another hour on on spiritual topics. Yeah, man, we'll definitely have to do this again. So thank you so much for joining me on The Man Talk Show.
1: Thanks for having me, Connor. I appreciate
0: you, man. Awesome. So for everybody else that's out there, if you want to check out Adam, uh, you can go, is it adamroa.com just to just to make sure?
1: Yeah, adamroa.com. will link to the podcast and also the show. You can go to theartofchoosinglove.com if you want to go directly for the YouTube show.
0: Awesome. Yeah, so we'll have the link for that in the show notes as well. Uh, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, uh, Spotify, whatever platform you listen to us on. And please man it forward, share this episode with just one person. Or if you want to share it, publicly on social media, make sure you tag me in it so I can share you out through our platform. And until next week, thank you so much for joining us. This is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.